Hey, everyone. Um, if y'all will turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 7 through 12. I'm going to give y'all a minute to turn there. I'll say it one more time just in case you didn't hear me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Catherine. Formerly Catherine Sellers. How long has it been, Catherine Riddle? Um, almost eight months. Hux, <laughs> if you get asked, I hope you have as good of an answer and as quick of a reply. You know, we are just gonna gonna dive right in. So the next several weeks, um, up until Easter. We're going to go all the way to Easter, each week taking a theme of the Bible. And the, the work on Bible themes is incredible that is out there. A lady that Heather turned me on to, her name is Nancy Guthrie. She has a book called Better Than Eden. Her stuff is incredible. Uh, there is, a, in fact, there's multiple works that women have done in this field that men seem to be a little behind the curb on. And so I, I think that this work on themes, I'm not sure why more women have seemed to produce more work as of late than the men, but it is an incredible study. And so what you do is you, you take an idea. For instance, in a couple of weeks, um, we're going to look at the idea of water and water in Scripture. And so we're going to go from Genesis all the way to Revelation and trace the theme of water through the Bible. And one, you'll become more literate in your overall Bible knowledge. You'll understand the meta narrative better. But also, you will see in each of these elements a very tangible part of the Lord and your walk with the Lord and his plan that you'll be able to, to grab hold of. So the word, to make this more succinct, the word, the Bible, is full of themes that start in the beginning and they go all the way through the Bible. They reveal God. They also show how we have departed from him. And then they trace how we are to be reunited with him and live for him. And so tonight, we're going to trace the theme of darkness and light from cover to cover. So I want to show you a, a timeline as we begin, and these are a little different than I have taught before, and so I appreciate it. By the time we get to Easter, you'll be like, you finally figured out how to teach these. Um, but we, we're going to just 
I'm gonna show you a timeline every week. Some will be drawn from the iPad, some will not. Jason used the iPad on Sunday. I appreciate most of you, if you were here, not reminding him that he did borrow that from us. Uh, and so, anyway, but, so I drew this out for you just to give you a brief picture, and I wanna walk this through. This is great if you're like a doodler or a note taker, knock yourself out. So, if you come all the way over to, to here, this, this orange at the top, this is before time started, so that we would call eternity past. And when you put time around the word eternity, I know you're playing with fire, but just it's just the easiest way for our little brains to handle this. This over here, this wooden wall over here, this would be eternity future. Just to give you an idea, this little arrow, the green arrow by Pentecost, that's where we are now. That is us in this time frame. So, what we wanna do every week is look at four big movements. They're in the dark green at the bottom. Creation, fall, restoration, I'm sorry, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So every one of these themes can follow this movement. So what happens? God makes the world, that's creation. What happens? Humans fell, that's the fall. What happens? Jesus comes, that's redemption. And then one day when he makes all things new, that is restoration. Every theme in the Bible can be traced all the way through these four movements. Now, for tonight, darkness and light, you see in white at the bottom, I've highlighted with two, two bits of blue. One is completely colored in, that represents darkness. The other one is an open circle, that represents light. And so, we're gonna look at creation, and how in creation, there was light and dark. In the fall, there was dark. With Abraham, there's dark and light. In Exodus, we see dark, we see light. Then we start to see this weird eclipsing of the two. When you get to the kings, the judges, the prophets, not in that order, it would be the judges first, and then the kings, and then the prophets. And I'm not talking about Bible books here. I'm talking about the story of Scripture, the story of the Jewish people. There initially were no kings, and they had judges, but they wanted a king. So then they get a king, and then they get bunches of kings, and then the kingdom splits into the northern and the southern kingdom. And once that splits, prophets start showing up. And the reason prophets start showing up is because the people start deviating from God's plan. What's the role of a prophet? To bring you back, to warn you that you've deviated. What we see after about the time of David is this incredible decline, this incredible decline, and we see lots and lots of dark. Then when we get to the birth of Jesus, we see darkness, but we see a light. And then in Nicodemus, we see darkness and light. When Jesus walks on water, we see darkness and light. At the cross, we see, you know what, you'll get that when we get there. So, here's what I wanna do. I'm going to go through now a bunch of scripture, and I'm just gonna teach you from the opening pages of the Bible all the way to the Revelation, this theme of darkness and light. A few of the scriptures will be up on the screen, but I will say every one of them because some of you are the people that are unlike me. I'm fine if like a note's not filled in, and some of you are like, no, I can't go home if a note is not filled in. And so I realized that that's like, that's like Heather. Like Heather wants to know like everything filled in. And I'm like, ah, it was fun, wasn't it? And so, so I'll, we'll do both. Some will be up on the screen, some won't. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us tonight? Would you show us how you have given us darkness as a physical sign 
and light as a physical sign of our spiritual states. And Lord, as Catherine read in 1 Peter 2, 9, Lord, you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Would you paint that picture for us tonight as we go from Genesis to the Revelation? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Genesis chapter one, verses two through five. I'll start reading in verse one, but I think two through five will be on the screen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. There's a few really interesting things that happen in here. How does the world begin? It begins in total darkness. The world begins in total darkness. The Bible begins in total darkness. But where is God? Hovering near to the darkness. That tells us the Lord is not afraid of the darkness. We could go on and on. We could do a three-part, one-hour-each message on these first few verses and just scratch the surface because it's so rich. But we see the darkness, and we see that God is not afraid of the darkness, and the very first thing that God says that's recorded for us is what? Let there be light. The first word in creation is light. This ought to let us know this is how the rest of the Bible is gonna roll. There is darkness all throughout the land, but the Lord will shine light and bring light. This is a prophetic moment because one day in the dark world, the light would come. Who created the light? The very one who was called the light in the life of men, Jesus. His first appearance was shattering darkness. From there, God divides and makes day and night. But right before that in verse three, it says of the light, that it doesn't say of all of day one, which I'm sure it was, but the main thing that the Lord highlights for us is that he says is good. And every day he says something is good or the whole day was good. But here he says, and he created the light and saw that it was good. So there's another theme for us. The theme from the opening, just few, the few first opening verses of the Bible is that darkness must mean bad and light must mean good. So this is one of our main themes that we get right out of the gate is this theme of light and darkness. We go on a few chapters, and a lot happens in Genesis very quickly, but by the time you get to chapter 15 in Genesis, a man named Abraham is on the scene, and he is going to be the father of the Jewish nations, Abraham. And so his name has been changed at this point. His name has been changed, and he is uh, he, or it's about to be changed. He's Abram. He's about to become Abraham, the father of many nations. But in a moment, after he's already committed his life to God, it says in chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain 
That you, I'm sorry, let me read in verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. The way that Hebrews write is in numbers. Three times in, in Genesis 15, 12, we see that it is dark. Abraham, the sun is setting. Well, what is that? Well, that means it's getting dark. Abraham falls asleep. When you sleep, it's dark. That's dark twice. And then, what does it say? It says a dreaded or dreadful and great darkness falls upon him. So it's dark three times. It's getting dark. He falls asleep. It's dark. And a great and dreadful darkness falls upon him. It can't get any darker for Abraham than this moment. And what happens according to Genesis 1 when it gets dark? The Lord shows up with light. And so the way the rest of this story plays out, he falls asleep and God appears to him. Why? Because God is not afraid of the darkness. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abram, if he's saying to him, it means he's near him. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, uh, will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation. And he goes on and he prophesies how they're going to come out of Egypt. Then you get to verse 17, and it said, when the sun had gone down and it was dark. So if you're wondering from verse 12, if it's dark. In verse 17, we find out it is dark, dark. And what happens? A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of the sacrifice that were laid out by Abraham. So the Lord shows up to him when it is triple dark, and then when it can't get any more dark, verse 17, God shows up this time with fire. And what does fire give? It gives light, because the Lord always shows up in the darkness. And so we see this theme mingled in of darkness and light moving through the book of Genesis. By the time we get to Exodus, you all know the story. We spent a whole bunch of time in Exodus last year on, Sunday, on Tuesday nights, on Sunday mornings. Jason spent a bunch of time in Exodus. Exodus chapter 3 is probably the, one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. That's when the Lord shows up to Moses. How does he show up to Moses? He shows up to him in a burning bush. What happens when things burn? They give light. Moses is in the wilderness. What does the wilderness always represent? Darkness. Moses is in the darkness, even though it's 112 degrees and the sun is out. Moses is in the darkness on the run, and God shows up in light in his darkness. In Exodus chapter 10, there's a plague. This is the middle of the plagues. In Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23, there's a plague of darkness that falls on the Egyptians. Why would it fall on the Egyptians? Because the Egyptians represent bad. And so darkness falls on the bad, but in Goshen, where the Israelites lived, which was a part of Egypt, it was light. And so in the book of Exodus, we see the darkness of the bad, the wilderness, the Egyptians, but we see the light of God showing up in his people because the Lord is not afraid of the darkness and he shows up in the darkness. In Exodus 14, verse 20, the Israelites are fleeing out of Egypt. They are on their way out. The Passover has happened and they are on their way out and hot on their heels are the Egyptians. Did I say that right? The Israelites flee... Yes, okay, the Israelites flee. Sometimes my words get mixed up. Uh, the mouth goes faster than the mind. And so the, the Israelites are fleeing. Right on their heels are the Egyptians, and God puts a cloud. This is a fascinating cloud. On the side that is to the back of the Israelites, it's like a big flashlight. 
on the side that is to the face of the Egyptians, it is pitch black. The Lord, that kind of reminds me of, of one of the Psalms. Psalm 119, 105. The word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Israelites had a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path as they fled, but the wicked, as Proverbs talks about, were covered in darkness. And so we see this theme of darkness and light mingled together, but it's telling us a part of a bigger story. The bigger story is that we're all in some sort of darkness here. And we need light. When you get to Psalm 91, verse 6, it says that the pestilence stalks in the darkness, but the righteous person need not fear because the Lord will care for them. Psalm 119, 105, we just talked about, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, implying, what does that imply? The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It implies that I don't live in the day. It implies this whole world is dark. If you ever wonder why it feels like you're always pushing rocks up a hill, I was talking with AK who's running slides in the back about her work and just how work's going, and I told her a friend of mine, when he asked him how his work is going, he's um, a, an exec with UPS and he'll retire in a couple of years and he's got a, a really high up job with them and I'll ask him how his job's going and he'll say, Thomas, it's fine, just pushing rocks up a hill. That's what I do all day, just pushing rocks up a hill. If you ever wonder, like, why does life feel like that? It's because we live in a dark place. And only a few can see to navigate it. Everybody else is just stumbling around. And that's the picture that we start to see. See, the Bible builds, and it progressively tells us more and more and more of what we need to know. It goes from, from these pictures that you have to piece together to really concrete moments. And so... When you get to Proverbs, uh, Solomon wrote a bunch of those. Proverbs 2, verse 13 says that, uh, that when you leave the paths of righteousness, you walk in the way of darkness. So the righteous walk in the light, the wicked walk in darkness. Proverbs 4, 19 says the way of the wicked is as darkness. They don't even know what they're stumbling upon. When you look, so much of the world is stumbling around and they don't even know what they're stumbling upon. And so by the time we get to the prophets, by the time we get to these, these, these famous words found in Isaiah and Jeremiah, when we get here, the people realize clearly, just like you realize in 2023, the place is just broken that I live and you just know it, you know it all day long. You have little glimpses, like hopefully Tuesday nights are a glimpse of like, the world is gonna be okay, and I'm gonna be okay. Hopefully Sunday morning, you're like, the world's gonna be okay, and I'm gonna be okay. Hopefully in your small group you get that. Hopefully the Lord has blessed you with a godly family, and you get that when you're around them, but a lot of you, I know that's not the case. But you know we live in a broken, dark place. And by the time we get to the prophets, Everybody in their sober moments realized we need help. And so the Lord visits Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter nine, Isaiah nine is, is famous because that's where we get the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace verse in Isaiah nine six. But in Isaiah nine two, right before that, prophesying about the Messiah, 
Isaiah says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. And right before that, the reason they are glad and the Lord has multiplied and increased their joy is because those who walked in darkness saw a great light. He who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, a light has shone on them. Now listen to me. Listen to the words one more time. The people who walked in darkness, everybody we've talked about so far, whether it's an entire nation or it's Abraham, everybody has walked in darkness And on all of those people, they got like a very, either they got a light for a moment as they fled, or they got a glimpse of a burning bush, or they had a fire pot come by them. But we need something more. And what does Isaiah say? This is why it's important to pay attention to every word. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light light. The Lord reveals to Isaiah, I've been giving you glimpses through lamps, through torches, through plants that are on fire. But these glimpses are to show you that a great light is coming. Isaiah sees these glimpses over and over again. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 7, there's another prophecy about the Messiah, and it says that the Messiah is going to open the eyes that are blind. If you're blind, you definitely live in darkness. So this Messiah is going to be a person of great light, not just physical healing power, but great light. He's going to open blind eyes. He's going to bring prisoners out from the dungeon, the prisons, the prison, those who sit in, in darkness. So Messiah, when he comes, he's gonna release people from captivity, he's gonna open their eyes, but most of all, what it's saying is that Messiah is going to bring an everlasting, life-changing, world-changing light to this dark, dark place. And the list goes on. In Joel 2.31, we talk about this. Uh, but finally, what happens is the prophets, the prophets just get exhausted after a while. Nobody listens. And by the time we get to Malachi, people are content to stumble and just live in the darkness. And so for 400 years, the Lord lets the world sit in darkness, until finally, in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter four, verse 16, Matthew quotes Isaiah 9, 2, and says, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light, because behold, Jesus has come. Jesus spoke about light. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the good eye and the bad eye, the eye that is good, the body is full of light, and the eye that is bad, the body is full of darkness, and how great is that darkness? 
And what he's talking about is a person who's full of light is a person who is generous, and a person who is full of darkness is a person who is stingy. He's not saying it's good to be generous and it's bad to be stingy. He's saying a generous person has seen the light of God. They've met the sun. In Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 45 through 56, I'll, I'll read this famous story to you. Uh, and it's the second time that Jesus calms a storm. By the way, in Mark 4.35, the first storm is calm. It's when Jesus is taking a nap in the boat. If you're familiar with the story, he's taking a nap in the boat and the guys wake him up and they're like, we're gonna drown, Jesus. I always thought that was like a two o'clock nap because if I'm napping, it's two. Um, and so maybe you're like a different time of napper. I don't like napping when you wake up and it's dark. Then I get sad. Um, but you know when you like nap, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, I do know that feeling. It's like a terrible feeling. But like a two o'clock nap for like 20 or 30 minutes, you're good to go for hours. And so um, I have, anyway, I won't like ADD moment there. But I could tell you a funny story about that. A friend of mine who got caught by the custodian one day in his office, um, but sleeping under his desk um, while she was vacuuming and then she came around the corner. Anyway, I won't tell you that story, but, um, but it was very funny. But Jesus is taking a nap, and the reason he's taking a nap is actually dark. The first time Jesus calms the storm is in the dark. Another picture, actually a mini picture of the creation account, the formless and void, deep, dark, that the Spirit of God hovers over and makes calm. But by the time we get to Matthew, Mark chapter six, we see a second time, and immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray, verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the, sixth, about the fourth watch of the night, that's about 3 a.m., at about 3 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them. He said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And when he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. The light of the world steps into the biggest storm of these boys' lives. And as calm as a, cu as a cucumber, walks by, almost passing them by, just gonna pass to the other side. They cry out, it's a ghost. Now they're double scared. It's dark, it's windy, and there's waves. It's probably cold. You had dark wind and cold, and it's a bad time. That's how you get guys out of SEAL camp. When they, you wanna get guys out of bud school, get them cold, get them in the dark, let the wind blow on them and don't feed them much and they drop like flies. The human body can't handle it for long. Our brains begin to melt. But the light of the world, who from Genesis 1 has never been afraid of the dark, walks out on the sea in the storm and speaks a word. Everything calms down. He walks into the boat and they go on their way. The light always beats the dark. And so this is the story of Jesus. In John chapter one, 
I want to just share with you some of the most famous things ever said about him. It says, in the beginning was the word. We just read that 15 minutes ago. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Listen to this, verse 4, John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. This is the Isaiah 9, 1, 9, 1 and 2 light, the great light that was coming. It's here. It shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not defeated it. And John goes on, and he calls Jesus the true light, which gives light to everyone in verse 9, was coming into the world. He came, he was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus is called the light so often in John's writing, in John, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, in the Revelation, Jesus is the light over and over again. We go from this mysterious kind of hidden theme in Genesis 1 to this overarching, super clear theme that the world is dark, but the light has come. Nicodemus famously in John chapter 3 shows up to Jesus when? In the dark. And Jesus says something so interesting. If you read Nicodemus and Jesus' dialogue, and you read Jesus, really it's a monologue Jesus gives him in John chapter three. It makes so much more sense when you realize it happened in the dark. You know the first part. For God so loved the world, this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I'm gonna skip down to verse 19. Jesus said, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, but the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus said, look, the light has come, but the light is also blinding and it's scary and it's much easier to crawl back into the cave and to live the life I was living than to have everything exposed and just take the dare that he loves me anyway. But that is the message of Christ. You're stumbling in the dark, and I'm going to shine a light on you. Don't run from me. I'm here to help, not hurt. But the longer we live in the darkness, the more uncomfortable the light becomes. And then, finally, at the end of of Jesus' life and ministry, The light who opened the eyes of the blind. The light who showed up in the dark place. The light who set the captives free. The light who relentlessly shined into people's lives, though they shut doors in his face and finally took him to a cross, is now face to face with the ultimate thing that darkness has to offer. And you know what the ultimate thing darkness has to offer, don't you? It's death. Just last night, Heather and I were on the phone with a sweet young married couple who many of you know um, who I'm talking about, but he just lost his dad tragically in a heart attack uh, just without even knowing it. He was here serving communion on Sunday, got home Sunday night and found out that his dad had passed away. Death is the worst thing that happens in the darkness. 
And so what is the light gonna do when the light faces darkness? Because surely, surely the light can handle the worst that this world has to offer them. And so everybody gathered around the cross is just hoping that the light can somehow keep shining in this impossible moment of the cross. I wanna read to you Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to the end. But before we do this, we're gonna kinda live this out. And so if you're using your phone, if you would just turn it off or like put it on your lap, if you've got a light out, if you would just like kinda hide it for a minute, because as we read this, we're gonna try to feel it as the lights fade down in the room. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole earth until the ninth hour, when the sun's light failed. The curtain of the temple is torn in two. And then Jesus called out with a loud voice, and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and he said, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast, and they said, and all his acquaintances, and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. You would think that the light could handle this one moment. This is the only time since light was spoken into existence that the whole earth went back to dark. And we know that the Lord always shows up in the darkness. But the rest of that Friday, he didn't show up. And all day Saturday, he didn't show up. And I know that's where some of you are sitting right now, and you just wonder, is he going to show up? Because he's supposed to be the light. One of the most powerful passages in all of the New Testament, says that, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They took the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And when they did not find his body, they looked, and they saw two men standing in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened. But the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? They said that he is not here. He has risen. And the Bible paints this picture. For the first time since creation, everything went dark at the redemption of mankind. And why did it go dark? Because the light ate the darkness. 
absorbed it all himself, sucked all the light out. It just imploded so that you and I never have to live in the darkness again. And the rest of the Bible starts to paint this picture. It paints the picture that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We've been called out of darkness into marvelous light. 1 John 5, 1, 5 through 6 says that in God there is no darkness. And if we say we have fellowship with him but we live in darkness, we lie and do not do the, tr- do not do the truth. The Bible goes on to the end of it, the very end in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it says something fascinating. It says that in the new city, Jerusalem, there's no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the, and the lamb is its lamp. In Revelation 22, verse 5, the last chapter of the whole Bible, it says, and night will be no more. There will be no need of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let me just go back to the little drawing that I did just one second ago. Do you see the whole Bible starts in darkness, and the whole Bible ends in light? This is the beauty that we have but I wanna just challenge you. Do you ever wonder why Paul was, was struck blind on the road to Damascus in Acts 9? I think the Lord struck him blind to show him because he thought he could see so clearly, but the reality is he was a blind man walking. And the Lord needed to give him physical blindness to show him what was spiritually happening. And you and I really ought to evaluate. We may think we've got the world by the tail and we've got it all figured out. Are you walking in the light of Christ? Have you come to Christ and are walking with him or do you have darkness that you're always drawing back to? Light is scary, but darkness is actually the thing that blinds you. There's a cave in Tennessee. You could go there tomorrow and you could go into the cave and you could explore the cave. And when you go into the cave, they'll turn the lights on in the cave. They've got these, all these lights down there. They turn them on and there's these fish swimming around in the pool. And then the, the guide there will tell you, by the way, all the fish here are blind. And the fish that they have, the offspring they have, will be born blind. And then you ask, is this like a special species of fish? And they're like, no, no, no. These fish have just lived in the dark so long that they got used to it. And they stopped developing eyes. We have been called out of darkness, and when the Lord convicts you, he's calling you out of darkness, and why? Because he doesn't want you to stop, he doesn't want you to go blind, he doesn't want you to be living in the darkness forever and ever, and so that conviction, that call, it's a good thing. It's a blessing. The Lord gave us circadian rhythms and cataracts to remind us that, hey, dark too long is bad, you'll get depressed. And he gave us another physical sign. No matter how, who you are, if you live long enough, you will develop cataracts. I do believe that is another physical sign that shows us that we are drawn to the darkness. We are headed towards darkness on our own. And the only way to get rid of cataracts is in the hand of a skilled physician. The only way to come into the light is through the hands of the ultimate physician. So yes, stepping into the light is scary but living in the darkness will kill you. So what about you? 
Have you been called into the marvelous light of Jesus, but you're running back toward darkness? Tonight's the night to repent. Or maybe your darkness is a different kind. It's a product of sin and brokenness, but it's not your own doing. You're familiar with the phone call that the young deacon I just told you about got on Sunday night, and tragedy has hit you. And you just need the one who is the light to assure you that it may be Saturday, but Sunday's coming. The light will shine into your darkness. And so I don't know where you sit tonight, but I would imagine you're one of the two. You need the light to shine into the darkness to give you hope for a problem you didn't create. Or there's a battle in your soul because part of you wants to run back to the darkness or stay in the darkness. When the great light that's shown among the people has come into the world and he is calling you into his marvelous light. So what's your choice tonight? The light that is good and saving and whole that is Jesus or the dark? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us these themes in Scripture, and I thank you for the theme of light and darkness. And Lord, I thank you that you have called us into your marvelous light, and I thank you that the marvelous light absorbed all the darkness on the cross. Father, may you break the chains that want to pull me back or keep me in the darkness through the grace of your son, Jesus. And Lord, would you help me to run into the marvelous light? And Father, be near to the hearts of those who have seen the darkness of this world creep in on them, not through their own doing. And Lord, would you be a light in their lives and give them sweet hope and encouragement. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.